Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to ISS EDU Learn. Ask me anything. This is episode six. I am Mike P, your favorite educator interviewer. I am here with Dana Watts, the Director of Learning Research and Outreach. Dana Watts, of course. Dr. Dana Watts is my co-host. I wanted to just mention a couple of things before we get started for today. Just a couple of housekeeping items. Last week, we have episode five that is coming out on the platform. Episode five is a discussion in regards to if you want to learn more about international education, I believe Dana and Derek from AMIS, I believe, is the correct acronym. Dana could speak more about that. If you'd like to learn more about international education, you could check out episode five. We're on Spotify, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Soon to be on Apple, as soon as I can find out how to get an ID. If you know how to get an ID, please send it over. We have a couple upcoming events as well that I just wanted to share from ISS. We have Responding to Our Students' Strength and Needs Through Conferring. That's happening December 1st and December 8th, and that is with Laura Benson, our ISS Director of Curriculum and Professional Development. And we have a three series. Nope, this is the one workshop. This is moving beyond self-judgment and self-criticism through mindful, through mindfulness. It's on November 30th and December 7th. And that is going to be with Kaylin Fullerton, Dr. Francesca Malazzi. And those two will be happening on November 30th and December 7th. So please check out our website at iss.edu slash events for any other professional developments that will be happening. So that's the end of the housekeeping that I have for you guys. So let's get going. Dana, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Charlie? I'm good. I'm good. I am so thrilled to have you here. You're, it's just always such a joy to chat with you and talk to you about your passion and all the wonderful things that you do for students and educators around the world. Thank you for having me. I'm awesome. I am excited to be here. Sherlyn, did you just want to give us a little background about who you are? What do you do? So I am a high school counselor. I think I'm on year 25. So I have lived in several different countries. So I call myself a global high school counselor because I left the U.S. in 2010 and I have not been back yet to work in the U.S. So I plan to keep going. I'm the founder of Weeks Enterprise LLC, which is a consulting business I started back in February to kind of fuel one of my passions, which is doing workshops for educators. I get to do it with students in my work, but I don't get to do it for educators. And so that's one of the things I get to do. And so I'm really excited about the topic of mental health, consent, and boundaries, because even as adults, we can all do better in those areas. Absolutely. So I'll just get started. Know that the workshop that you spoke about was about TCK. In your own words, do you want to share with us what TCK means? So TCK is third culture kids, and basically it is students who live in multiple places. So a lot of times for international students at international schools, we see students who have lived in different places. They have a passport country 
of course, and then their parents have lived other places. So they have lived in schools in different countries and their, their viewpoint, their perspective of the world is very different. So even for kids who have that blue passport, you know, that American passport, they're not as the same as kids in America who have lived and never left America because their perspective of the world and their friend group is so different and so diverse. And so those are TCKs. Okay, awesome. And Sherlyn, how did you get started in this work? What brought you into this? The counseling? Why? Yeah. Ooh, that's a tough question to start with, Dana. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm gonna, it's okay. I'm going to tell you the short version. So the short version is I went to Bentley University, which is a business school, and I thought I was going to be, get this, a diversity equity trainer for businesses back then. And so one of my friends got murdered in my junior year. And so I, at the time I was taking a sociology class and I really enjoyed what I was learning in sociology and just some of the work that I had been doing in the summer and summer camps and different things like that. And I thought, well, maybe I can pivot this. You know, I wanted to save the world at that time. And so I went and got a master's degree in counseling education from UVA and I became a counselor. And I realized in that moment when I had that first internship that that was what I was meant to be, that the business world at that time was a lot more conservative as you, you, you can't see me, but I'm wearing red. And back then you couldn't wear red, you know, and I wanted every suit that was a color. They were like, you can wear blue, gray, black, and one other color. And me, I was like, but I want to wear the yellow suit. I want to wear the red suit. I want to wear the purple suit. And so from that moment, I knew that the business world was not ready for me yet. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry to hear that that's what brought you into it, but I feel... You took a terrible situation and now have continued to impact the lives of so many people. And I, I wonder if that's also similar for a lot of educators, right? Something pushed us to want to help others in a bigger way. And, and yeah. The other thing I will say is this. A lot of my friends are, are either counselors or teachers. And this is why. So I went to Boston Latin Academy. I want to give them a shout out because I had some of the best teachers and my my guidance counselor back then because that's what they were called back then he was awesome Mr. Martin was awesome he I felt like he saw me he listened to me he didn't put me in a box to be like well you're an inner kid so you can't apply to this school he was like apply to Harvard I was like I can't get in there <laughs> but he was the kind of counselor that really pushed me to be bigger than I ever thought I was at 17. And so I think that is why a lot of us from that school are educators, because we had great teachers. We had a loving community of people who saw us even in all our messiness and thought that we could be great. And I think we became educators so we could be the same for future generations. I hear that you became a counselor. I just wanted to, to know when did it direct into the specific topic of consent and boundary? That's a great question. So I will say I have always talked to kids about consent and boundaries. And here's why. Because when you work in a high school with children who are dating and falling in love and doing appropriate things, you inadvertently get pulled into conversation. So what would happen? I would say the first time I did it, like, seriously, was when I was working in D.C. public schools. And so what would happen was kids would come in my office and they would hang out at lunchtime 
or they would come in there and work on their college applications, but they would be talking. And so me in my school counselorness, they would be having conversations. And sometimes what they were saying was totally wrong. And I would be like, uh-uh, everybody stop and look at me. We're going to talk about this right now. And they'd be like, well, miss, you're air hustling. We're not talking to you. That's okay. Mm -hmm. You're in my space and you're saying mm -hmm. things that are not true. So we're going to talk about this. And so that's how I really started having those types of conversations with students in terms of hearing them talk about things and being like, no, that's not true. And then when I went international, I, won, I think it was when I was in Ethiopia, it was when child protection was kind of blooming. And when I got there, the principal said, well, we want to do something with child protection. And I was like, hey, I want to do consent talks with students. And he was mm -hmm. like, okay, what does that include? And I kind of talked about it. And that was the first time that I did it formally. But like I said, I've always had these conversations with groups of students. Well, and Sherlyn, I think that's so important, especially when we talk about an international context, because different cultures and different, you know, different places in the world have different ideas of when to hug, when to touch, when to kiss, when to do all of those different things. And then when you're in an international context, you're not always certain. I remember the first time I went overseas and someone from Europe went to go give me a kiss on, you know, both sides of my cheek and give me this huge hug. And I was like, ah, uh, you're, you're, you're another man and I'm married and I, like, or I was at the time. And I was like, I don't know, what did I just kiss like a, a stranger? Like, that's just, a, it was a lot. And learning what's okay and where your boundaries are is important, especially for our students who travel so much within our schools and they go different places, especially with sports and they go to other people's homes and things like that, knowing what that is and, and that they have the power of consent so important and imperative for this community. Yeah, and it's a journey. And it's funny that you say that, Dana, because I, the Dominican Republic was my first post as well. And I was like, I don't like people kissing me. I don't even know you. I don't even know if I like you. And so it was really hard for me that first year because of the kissing, because it was like, well, is there no other option? And I started to have that conversation with my administrators like, do I really need to kiss the parents? Like, can I just stick out my hand and shake their hand? Do I need to be hugged? And so I think that was another way that formalized this idea of boundaries for me, because I was just like, I feel like my boundaries are being pushed aside culturally and people didn't want to talk about it. And so I had to try to figure out the best way to navigate that so that I wasn't being offensive because I understand the desire to kiss and hug. But for me, it was like, I don't know you. And it feels foreign to me, too close to whatever. I wasn't ready. And so I think that was another personal journey that led me to thinking more closely about boundaries and how do we navigate them. Do you think that COVID has helped us have these conversations? Because now, you know, it, is it the fist bump? Is it the arm bump? Is it the elbow? Is it the handshake? Is the it the head hug? nod? Don't forget the head nod. And the head nod. Like I see people asking now before they go in for, for that. And I'm wondering if that's actually, that could help because it is helping to respect where people feel comfortable and, and they can say, you know what, I'm not feeling great today. Or, you know what, I was just around someone who might've had a cough. I don't want you to get sick. We're good, you know, or whatever, or I'm trying to protect an elderly parent at my house. But like that is kind of maybe helped open up that conversation. 
I hope so. I know it did during COVID, but now that the world is outside again and we're acting like COVID has, does not exist anymore, I hope that we keep those parts of it, the consent part, the part of asking people's permission, the part of allowing people to say, well, I don't shake hands. Can we give a fist bump? or an elbow or a head nod, I hope that we keep that because I think for people like me, the introverted ones who didn't really love all the hugging and the kissing, COVID was good in that way because I was like, good, nobody's going to come over and just try to hug me without asking me. So I hope that we keep that, especially for young people, because when we talk about boundaries or when I talk about boundaries with people, the, the, the culture police always comes up. Well, what do we do in a culture that loves to kiss? What do we do in a culture where your parents are like, go over there and hug auntie, whoever, ever, ever. And you're like, but I don't want to hug auntie, whoever, because I don't feel like being hugged today, but I'm six and I don't have agency because nobody's talking about that. I hope that we can keep some of those lessons and learn them and allow our kids to choose. I wonder too. So I'm kind of the opposite. I do actually really like to hug and I like touch, you know, and I think now, like, did I ever by accident do harm to a student when like I went and like put my hand on their shoulder as I was like conferring with them about their writing or especially when I taught little, little ones when I was younger, you know, if I saw them hurt or something, my first inclination was always to give them a hug, but not understanding is that comfortable or not. So I think from both ends of the spectrum, you can kind of, there's a lot still for us to learn because what might make me one person feel comfortable can really affect and impact the other person. Yeah. And I think I learned that too, because as a counselor, when a kid is crying, I do, I want to hug them, you know? Um, And so what I've learned now is to ask, is it okay if I hug you? Is it okay if I put my hand on your shoulder? Do you want to be touched at all? And I will be honest, my youngest niece taught me this lesson in a not so helpful way because I came home one summer and I went to hug her and she was like, uh-uh, don't hug me. And I was like, but you haven't seen me in nine months. And she was just like, Aunt, I just don't like to be hugged now. You know, I'm too big for that. And I said, okay, well, how do I let you know that I love you? And she says, well, I know you love me. And I said, oh, did I miss you? I said, well, I miss you. And she said, I miss you too, but you don't have to hug me to tell me that. And so it started me on this another personal journey in terms of how do I engage with her if she doesn't want to be hugged? Yes, I want to hug her. I want to get close to her because I haven't seen her in a long time. But how do I honor agency, right, for her? She decided and allow myself to not feel like I'm being rejected because as an adult, we feel that we mm-hmm. love you. We want to hug you. We want to kiss you. And you're like, uh, uh-uh, I don't do that anymore, but we have to respect students, children's people's choice. It's very interesting that consent and boundaries is still something, even as an adult that we're, you know, we're still grappling with a question that I have is because boundaries will get crossed. Of course. And depending on the boundary that's getting crossed, you know, could cause some some harm in the future. But I, I, and then it looks like to me that the students trust you. They 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 come to you, and I would like to know like how how did you gain that trust in students? And I know one thing that you just mentioned is that you would ask, you know, can can I hug you? Can you know can can this be done? But is is there any other ways to gain that trust? I think as educators and as counselors, we gain students' trust by showing them that what we, we will do what we say, right? So adults, 
sometimes we have this idea of do as I, not as I say, but don't do as I do, do as I say. And that harms children. And we don't know it because we're just being the adults. I think the more we talk and listen to kids, the more we ask their opinions, the more we give them choice. That is how we develop that trust that my feelings are important. My agency is important. My choice is important. I can choose today to say, I don't want to be hugged or kissed and you're not going to make me feel bad for it. You're not going to punish me. You're not going to shame me because a lot of times as adults, we do those things unknowingly. It's not that we do it on purpose. It's that culturally, that's how we were raised. You know, like for my mother as a Caribbean woman, it was come in the house. If you come in the house and people are there, you speak to everybody. Mm -hmm. She don't care what kind of day you having. That's just, or the hugging thing. And so we have to learn to listen to our kids, to ask them. And that means as educators as well, when we're in the classroom, when we're at school, one of the things I used to do with students and I still do is when a student would come in the office, let's say a teacher sent them to me and they're crying and student would get there and say, I would be like, what's wrong? Nothing. I said, well, don't say nothing because you're obviously upset. But what you can say is I don't want to talk about it. And the first time I said that to a kid, you could see their, their posture change. Like, oh, I don't have to tell you. No, I said, you can sit here, you can cry. And then when you're ready, you can go back to class. You can talk to me. If you change your mind about talking, you can talk. You can, I gave them choice. And in that moment, I said, you're, you're important. And even though you are upset, you don't have a right to share with me. You know, you can still choose. And that for some students, they would sit and they, sometimes they didn't talk at all. But sometimes after 10 or 15 minutes and they'd be like, okay, miss, I'm ready to talk now. Okay. But there's power in allowing them to decide, even when they're upset, that they can say, I'm upset, I'm crying, something is wrong, but I'm not ready to talk about it yet. Love that. I love the fact that at the bottom of your email, you have that wonderful quote from Maya Angelou. I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And I think students... In particular, that's what matters. Like they need to know that they are loved and cared for and that they matter. And I'm just wondering, like, how do you do that in a virtual world? If you're not around students in the same way, how do you make them know that they matter? I think in a virtual world, it obviously is harder. And that's why for school counselors, we were not happy doing COVID because you can't really connect with kids through a computer screen in the way you can in person. Some things get lost, but I think I always go back to talking, to listening more than you speak, right? And even though that is one of my favorite quotes because I use positive self-talk to help students kind of bolster their self-esteem and talk about mental health, I make mistakes. And what I try to do is if I make a mistake and a student comes to me and says, hey, miss, you did this, you made me feel this way, that what I try to do is listen first without defending myself and also to apologize if necessary. And I wrote an article for TIE, I think about a year ago about that. I had a student who I had done something. I don't, I don't even remember what I did, but he wasn't talking to me. And one of his friends finally said to him, go and tell her she's going to listen. And he was like, 
I don't want to, cause she, she, you know, and he, she was like, no, seriously. And so he came, he stood at the doorway. He didn't even come in the office. He stood in the doorway and this child proceeded to bless me down. I'm telling you, he told me all about what I didn't do, who I was supposed to be, what I did not say. And I sat there and I listened. I didn't interrupt him. I let him talk. And in the moment I'm thinking, I don't even know what I did to this child. I mean, literally I did not remember, but I let him speak. And when he was done, I said to him, I am sorry. I said, and I'm sorry because it took you this long to come and tell me because you didn't think I would listen. And I said, I'm sorry that you felt like I wasn't listening to you when you came to me to help me with this, to ask for help with this problem. And I didn't get it fixed for you. And then I, then I explained to him what, my, what the parameters were as a counselor, but I didn't start with that. I started with the, thank you for telling me. I know that was hard. Thank you for, I'm sorry, because that, when I said that, it took some of the fight out of what he was saying to me, you know, then he wasn't as angry because he was like, okay, she's not going to just try to make it go away by, oh, you misunderstood. I just, I apologize. And I acknowledge that I had failed him whether or not that was my intention, right? And so that brings me to the other thing that's really important to me is that the impact is more important than your intention. We like to focus on our intention, but especially for young people, the impact is more important. You may not have meant to hurt me. You may have said something that you thought was funny and it, and it left me scarred. When I come and I tell you that, you don't say, oh, you're being sensitive. Oh, I didn't mean it like that. Oh, I was just joking. All the things that people tend to say. What you say instead is, you know what? I shouldn't have said that because that hurt you. And even though I didn't mean it, I won't do it again. And you can say, I'm sorry, because adults can apologize to young people. I wanted to go back to something that you said um, in regards to not being able to reach the kids through the screen, I guess you can say. So I wanted to ask, so do you utilize an app to communicate to the kids in a one way or another for these specific reasons? No, it's just that with COVID for students, when you're being vulnerable, it's harder to be vulnerable in front of a computer, you know? And so I found that that made it a little harder. Now, some kids thrived with the online world because those were yeah. the kids who didn't really like the, the, the in real life world, you know? And so you saw some kids who were like, school is tough. All the social stuff in school is really tough. I can do this from my house. Yeah, that's what mm -hmm. I like, you know, but for the students who are more social, it was harder to get them to show up for meetings on the computer. You know, you would set these meetings and they didn't show up. Now, I was lucky enough that because I was in West Africa at the time, we weren't online the second year like everybody else. We went back to school in August. And initially I was afraid, I will not lie. I was afraid um, because my uncle had died from COVID in June. And then in August, they were like, oh, we're going back to school in person. I was like, I don't think I can, you know, but we did and we were in school the entire year. So unlike people who were online for a year and a half, almost two, I was only online from March to June of the 2020, and then we were in person. So I didn't have the struggles in terms of trying to connect with students online long-term because our kids were right there at school. But I think for the counselors that did, they will tell you that some kids didn't show up for the online thing or they showed up, but they didn't have their cameras on. You can't connect if the camera's not on. And so a lot of teachers struggled with 
trying to have students keep their cameras on as part of their participation grade because it's like, how do I know that you're understanding? How do I know if I'm reaching you if I can't see your face? And so that is one of the challenges of the virtual world. Now, let's say this, the mental health organizations, they made out with virtual counseling. But, and so, so there's some of it for adults, for us, for myself, my therapist saw me on Zoom and Mm -hmm. I loved it. But I think it depends on each student. Some students Mm. love it. Some students don't love it. And so we just have to try to figure out how to do it. Okay. Here's a off the route type of question, but what would you fight to teach in your industry? I would want to teach consent and mental health and boundaries. I think that we don't talk enough about consent. You know, like I said, I've done it in two or three of of my schools formally but I would love to be in a space where I can talk about it all the time, you know, in different ways, because let's say, for instance, in the Middle East, you can't really talk about consent, but you can talk about boundaries. So you have to really decide how, how you do it. You can't talk about sex because of the, the religious aspect, but you can still talk about respect. So when I have my workshop and I talk to educators, that's what I'm telling them is that there are ways to have these conversations with our students by using different words, different language. We can talk about respect. We can talk about boundaries because all boundaries really is. Consent is asking for permission and receiving it and then giving me the right to change my mind. So whether it's we're playing on the playground or I told you, you can use my phone or it's that I'm sharing my lunch with you, or is that I don't feel like talking right now. It's the respect for that. It's the respect for me saying not right now and not making me feel bad for it, but allowing me the choice so that you can say, okay, not right now. Okay, well, I'll come back and ask you later, or I'll come back and ask you tomorrow. So we can talk to children about that, the ability to listen, to ask permission, and then to receive it without making people feel bad. That's really the crux of, to me, consent and boundaries. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there should be a, one of your roles inside of every school? Well, there are counselors in every school. It's just that not all of us talk about consent and boundaries. And the challenge for some counselors is we don't always have advisory. If you work in a school that doesn't have advisory, there's no dedicated space time. I was lucky enough to work in schools with advisory. So there's a dedicated space time for social emotional learning. In those dedicated space time is where you can have all the different conversations. But if you're in a school that does not have an advisory, then you're having those conversations with smaller groups of students. So what I would like to see is more schools make an advisory period as a dedicated space because that will allow the counselors more access to students because otherwise you're only talking to the kids that come to you. Whereas if you have advisory, it's required, it's a weekly or bi-weekly lesson and you can give them tools in that time. Caroline, I'm going to do a follow-up question to that because so I've helped and written a lot of curriculum and things for advisory and pastoral care programs. And then when I share it to the teachers, I find that some teachers fully embrace it. They're like, yeah, come on, you know, you name it. Thanks for doing this ready to go. But then I see some teachers who are incredibly reticent to want to even touch that. That's not their comfort zone. They're like, I teach math. 
Like, this is not math, you know? Um, I did not get the training in my teaching certification program on how to do pastoral care and or an advisory program. So what's the best way to try to help those educators? And is it up to them to also figure it out? I wouldn't say to figure it out because I think if you ask someone to do something and it's new or something that they're not comfortable with, then you have the, the you should support them in doing it. So when we would do it, what I would do is we had this, this, I can't remember what we used, but anyway, we, we sent out the lesson a couple of days early and we gave them kind of notes. So ask these types of questions after you share the video, because you're right. Some teachers love advisory and some teachers hate it. And for the teachers that hate it, I'm like, come talk to me. Let me help you. Let me give, maybe I'll come in and sit in your advisory and give you some pointers. So I don't think we should just make them figure it out, but we should allow for more time for them to be trained, to sit down, to get a comfortable with it. Because we wouldn't say you're a math teacher, now go teaching English, yeah. right? So exactly. I think while the counselors like me may love the idea of advisory and we wanna see more of it, we have to allow teachers the space to become comfortable with it and create more space for the counselors to help train them for lack of a better word to go in and have these conversations or to come and watch us do it for one time or let us come in and do it because I think some teachers are going to love it some teachers are always going to hate it but I think if we help them understand why it's important it's like what I tell teachers when they come to me and say Dana and Mike were having this conversation at lunch I overheard it can you go talk to them and I say well did you what did you say I didn't say anything I just came to you and I said well here's what you should say next time because they need to have the tools and the language so that we're all saying the same thing. Fantastic. All right, Charlene, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. Did, did you want to let our listeners know where to, they could find you, the website, social media? Yeah, sure. So I am on Twitter at Bajan Weeks and Bajan is B-A-J-A-N. And that is just a slang term for Barbadian because I was born in Barbados. I am on IG is Bajan Expat School Counselor. I'm on LinkedIn is my name. And my business website is Weeks, W-E-E-K-E-S, enterprise.com. So you can find me all of those places. Reach out to me if you want me to come and do a workshop for you. Like I said, passionate. I'm passionate about talking about consent and boundaries and not just with students, but for us as adults, because like I said, we can all do better. And I believe in the healing power of journaling, positive self-talk and therapy. I'm like, we all could benefit from therapy. We don't have to be in a trauma to do therapy. There is an organization that I follow called Melanin and Mental Health. And they have a lot of visuals that get right to the point. And one of the things that they say is, is you don't have to be in crisis to go to therapy. Sometimes it's a tune-up. Sometimes it's for you to go back and look at some things that you thought you healed from, but they're still coming up. So I want people to do that. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jolene. This was, uh, this was very valuable in many ways. Dana, do you have any ending no, Sherlyn, you're awesome. I hope um, this continue your work and all of your passion continues to inspire more people to talk to students about this, to talk to one another about this. And thank you. Just thank you for your contributions to everyone in the sector. We so appreciate you and love you just like the red that you're in. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. All right. Have a wonderful my, day. All right. Thank to my you. AMAs. 
Thank you so much for joining us. This is the end of episode six. Remember, you can check us out on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or Stitcher. Look for us, I-S-S-E-D-U Learn, Ask Me Anything. Until next time, bye-bye, international community.